getting up there a little bit. It's creeping up and, and fairly quickly. High water hits close to home. The all out effort to protect people and property from flood water. A promise of better protection for our oceans. What the government just announced to keep our coast safe. And startling video of a truck driver thrown to the ground. Why it might have saved his life. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Sophie is off tonight. We'll get to those stories in just a moment, but we begin with breaking details of a demand for tax relief at the pump for British Columbians. Richard Zussman is live in Victoria with the details, and Richard, Liberal leader Andrew Wilkinson upping the stakes here, calling on the NDP for some temporary relief from those high gas prices. Yeah, Chris, this weekend coming up, the May long weekend, is typically one of the busiest and most expensive. It's the gas pumps all year round. And today we heard from Liberal leader Andrew Wilkinson saying that he's asking the provincial government for immediate relief. So what he's asking for is either a reduction of the provincial motor fuel tax or a carbon tax on gas. Well, we're seeing the biggest pump prices in B.C. history. We can't live without forever. People's businesses are affected that by that. People's daily lives are affected. That's by no means an affordability solution by having the highest gas prices in history. All right. Is there reason for optimism? What's the premier's response to this? Yeah, Chris, no reason for optimism because today was a weird day. There was a press conference going on in Chilliwack where Premier John Horgan invited Andrew Wilkinson alongside to talk about flooding. And then quickly the Q&A afterward turned into a debate over the Trans Mountain Pipeline and, in essence, gas prices. And Horgan said that... The gas prices going up in Metro Vancouver doesn't have to do with this ongoing dispute around the Trans Mountain Pipeline. It has to do with refining capacity. And he didn't say anything about reducing those two taxes that Wilkinson, the Liberal leader, asked for, Chris. All right. Thanks very much, Richard Zussman and Victoria for us tonight. Now, as he mentioned, the growing flood fears in Metro Vancouver now as water levels are expected to peak once again tomorrow. Alerts and orders are in place and steps are being taken to protect property and livestock. Uh, Ramina Dea is live in Port Kells with more on the preparations and the concerns there. Ramina. Chris, officials are watching the river level here very closely right now. Barnston Island, which you see there behind me, is closed to visitors. The ferry is only moving residents and emergency officials. Now, the last we checked, the river was at 5.7 meters, just one more meter. And several communities along the Fraser are going to be in serious trouble. Hundreds of livestock on the move. Cattle loaded onto the ferry, taken to safer ground as a precaution. Barnston Island in a state of emergency. The entire farming community, about 100 people on evacuation alert. Just uh, hoping for the best, preparing for the worst. The water level so high in Chilliwack, three homes evacuated in the Cary Point area. Seven other properties on evacuation alert. Um, right now the berm uh, is still holding the water out. Uh, we don't expect it to do that for very long. Uh, when that gives way, the fields will probably start filling up rather quickly. Surrey stockpiling sandbags. The greatest concern, Bridgeview at the foot of the Patello Bridge. The dike holding for now. 
In Langley, more than 250 people remain on evacuation alert. Many parks and trails along the Fraser River are closed. Emergency officials not taking any chances. Parts of the province already facing disaster, says the Premier, who is encouraging British Columbians to donate. We're committing to match funds uh, that are uh, contributed to the Red Cross, up to $20 million. Back on Barnston Island, the community is prepared, but nervous. Worst case scenario, if everything goes bad, 1948 water levels. Which would be catastrophic. It would be bad. It, It would be lapping the top of the dike here, yeah. It would not be good. Now, we've just learned that an evacuation alert is now in effect in Abbotsford for the Glen Valley area. So conditions are changing rapidly. The Fraser River is expected to rise for several more days. Chris. All right. Thanks very much, Romina. In the meantime, residents and emergency crews in Grand Forks are taking some serious measures in the hopes of preventing a second round of flooding. But for many, holding on to hope is the hardest part. John Waugh has more on how residents and businesses in that community are coping tonight. John. Well, Chris, we want to come down to the basement to show everyone what the downtown businesses in Grand Forks are dealing with right now. This is their status quo. This is their holding pattern. They've been pumping this basement all day, and you can still see that water tank behind me floating there, right there. That's because this is where the groundwater level is. Now, last week with the flooding, the water reached six inches from the ceiling. The owner tells us if it surpasses that this time, this business is done. On one side, there's hope. The other, potential heartbreak. My worst fears is having to walk away, that it'll be beyond fixing. I'm hoping. Sorry. As Grand Forks prepares for a second round of flooding, this tiger dam was dropped around most of the downtown core. Little help for a business once at the heart of the recovery effort. This home hardware stayed open since the first flood. Now its owners are on the outside looking in. I had customers, well, what are they doing this for? You're a vital part of this community. You're the only business left down here. And... I don't know why they're doing this. With the potential for a second wave of flooding threatening unprecedented water levels, it's time to think outside the box. Three tiger dams stacked into a pyramid will offer the businesses inside five feet of water protection. This is something that we haven't done a whole lot of. It's kind of uh, a new technique. Businesses inside the perimeter still have no time for a breather, cleaning what they can, knowing it could once again be underwater. We're just trying to hang on to any glimmer that we have. I mean, people are devastated. People lost their houses here. It's, it's just, it, it's a war zone. Now, one of the businesses hardest hit after the first wave of flooding was the Gem Theatre. Reopened after a fire in 1913, it's the longest-running theatre in all of Western Canada. And after that flooding event, what filled these seats was water. We both broke down, especially my wife, was very bad. Some of the items that can never be replaced, pieces of movie history. Among the items inside this flooded basement, a 1940s poster from Charlie Chaplin's The Kid. But no, well, that's gone. Back at home hardware, Boisvenu praying for the best after only seven hours to protect her business. You've just taken the last basic building downtown that's working. A selfless member of the community, now a possible sacrifice. We closed our doors at three o'clock yesterday afternoon under orders from the town and and the police. And I had customers in there right till three o'clock. Well, we need this or we need that. And well, what are they doing this for? You're a vital part of this community. You're the only business left down here. And I don't know why they're doing this.
Well, Chris, we wanted to come outside to show you what ominous looks like. The rain is spitting. This is everyone's worst fear. Now, we did speak to the regional district chair, Rolly Russell, who says his request for military assistance has been kicked up to the federal government, but it can't happen days from now with this rain coming down. He says they have to be here right now. Back to you. All right, and right now it doesn't look like that's going to happen right away. We'll talk about that more uh, as the week progresses, but thank you, John. We'll bring in meteorologist Christy Gordon for more on the risk of wet, warm weather. Christy? Well, Chris, so the rain has been falling in parts of the Boundary and Kootenai regions all afternoon, right where those watches and warnings are in effect. Now, it's not widespread. It's quite patchy, and the green here is just light rain. But you'll notice many lightning strikes. Those are thunderstorms with isolated pockets of intense rain. Rainfall rates could be up to 15 millimeters in just an hour there. Now, this wave will weaken and shift out of the area this evening. The next more concerning wave will develop tomorrow morning and continue right through Friday. Areas in blue indicated here, which includes the Oak Okanagan Valley, some Milkamine areas as well, uh, could see up to 40 millimeters of rain. And with temperatures at or above seasonal values over the next two days, we could see significant melt. All right. Thanks very much for the update, Christy. A man killed in a very public shooting last night is believed to be the victim of a targeted attack. And while RCMP say there's no reason to believe the public is at risk, where the attack unfolded is cause for concern. Grace Key reports. This video obtained by Global BC shows the terrifying scene. You can see paramedics desperately working on the victim for several minutes while a horrified woman looks on. He's eventually rushed to hospital where he later died. One witness was nearby when she heard the gunfire. Eight gunshots, so it was like five in a row and then three after that. Bang, 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 bang. The shooting happened at about 9 o'clock Tuesday night at a busy Langley Chevron on 232nd Street and 72nd Avenue. A black Range Rover pulling two jets skis was riddled with bullet holes. Minutes after the shooting, a dark-colored Dodge pickup truck burst into flames nearby on 196th Street and 83rd Avenue. Police believe it is connected with the shooting. This video shows a similar dark-colored pickup speeding from the scene minutes after the shooting. As for the victim, he does not have a criminal background, but he is known to police. We believe this was a targeted incident. I can further tell you that we have identified the victim from last night's homicide. Um, we are still uh, speaking with the family. Our investigators believe that it will further the investigation to release that name, and we will do so soon. No arrests have been made. Investigators are asking drivers for dash cam video. If you were traveling along 72nd Avenue between 232nd Street and Highway 10 at around 8 to 9.30 Tuesday night, you're asked to contact IHIT. Grace Key, Global News. Conservation officials are warning the public about a coyote attack in Burnaby that left a child with serious injuries. It happened around 5.15 yesterday afternoon in the area of Broadway and Sperling. A four-year-old boy attacked and needed dozens of stitches. A coyote matching the description and behavior of the animal was located and then destroyed by conservation late last night. They are reminding the public to report aggressive and threatening animal behavior. If, if a coyote is... Uh, coming up to a child, you, the child should definitely go behind a parent or seek some sort of shelter. Keep your pets on a leash. If you're being followed by a coyote, um, just walk away slowly. Don't do any, anything sudden. Uh, seek some sort of shelter, like a car or a building. An appeal, emotional appeal from the family of a Victoria man who's been missing for 10 months. 37-year-old Yannick Myers was last seen in Chilliwack July 14, 2017. 
Today, his mother and aunt, who are visiting from Quebec, pleaded for information, saying his disappearance is out of character. He was always in contact with his mom, so this is a very unusual situation to be missing. So if anybody knows or seen Yannick or has information, please contact the RCMP or Crime Stopper. RCMP will only say they know Myers was in Chilliwack for four days before he went missing. Chilliwack RCMP also need your help finding 52-year-old John Edward Connor. He was last seen April 27th. Connor is believed to be driving a white 2017 Nissan Micra license plate EA511L. RCMP say Connor has been without his medication for more than two weeks, and they're very concerned for his well-being. And we've got one more missing person for you, too. Surrey RCMP needs your help finding Thomas Griazan. The 67-year-old last seen early Tuesday evening in the 7300 block of King George Boulevard. Police and family are concerned for his health and well-being as well. Some key developments today in the ongoing Kinder Morgan dispute. The federal government announcing it's willing to financially back the Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion to make sure it gets built one way or another. And late this afternoon, Alberta passed legislation that could curtail shipments of oil to B.C., Keith Baldry reports. But I want to be clear on the government's position. We believe in this project. With the clock ticking towards a deadline on whether Kinder Morgan pulls out of its pipeline project, the federal finance minister today vowed the pipeline will be built by someone and with federal aid if necessary. If Kinder Morgan at some stage decides not to proceed with the Trans Mountain expansion project, the indemnity against financial loss would still be in place for another party who might wish to take over the project. And Bill Morneau took dead aim at the pipeline's chief political opponents, B.C. Premier John Horgan and his NDP government. We're here today because despite the government of British Columbia approving this project, the B.C. Premier, Premier Horgan's stated intentions are to do whatever it takes to stop the project, which is unconstitutional in its very purpose. But Premier John Horgan isn't backing down from his court case that claims his government can regulate what flows through that pipeline. We put in place a regulation and we're asking the courts to determine if the jurisdiction is there for us. That's a reasonable thing to do. Meanwhile, the Alberta Premier took to the microphones as well, saying that province's legislature will today pass a law that allows it to restrict oil shipments out of province. And she's threatening to use it against V.C. Albertans, British Columbians, and all Canadians should understand that if the path forward for the pipeline through BC is not settled soon, I am ready and prepared to turn off the taps. But Notley's threat was dismissed out of hand by BC's Attorney General, who made a threat of his own. So we believe it's it's obviously unconstitutional. If they attempted to use it, we'd be in court uh, seeking an injunction to prevent them from using it. And any damages that flowed from that type of action, uh, we would be seeking to recover those as well. It's clear the political rhetoric surrounding the pipeline issue is getting more heated and will likely continue to do so as that May 31st deadline set by Kinder Morgan draws ever closer. And Keith Baldry joins us now live from Victoria. Keith, did Rachel Notley give us any clues about how quickly she could use this new legislation, despite yeah, what was, EB says? 
She was pressed by reporters numerous times, Chris, in that news conference to uh, give us a timeline. She doesn't want to do that. She did use the phrase 24 hours at one point, and she also referred to weeks, uh, but she doesn't want to pin down to timing. The bill still needs royal assent. It still needs some regulations to be enacted by cabinet. That May 31st deadline, though, I think is going to be a factor. It'll be interesting to see whether she turns off those proverbial uh, taps before May 31st or whether she waits to see exactly what Kinder Morgan does before she takes the next step. Chris? All right. Thanks, Keith. And in another development related to the transport of energy products, the federal minister of transport came to Vancouver today to announce new measures to help protect our ocean and coastline from potential catastrophe. As Ted Chernecki reports, Mark Garneau claims the new system will be better than world class. For the record, the announcement here had nothing to do with today's news about Ottawa's plans to cover any financial losses incurred by whoever builds the Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion. Was this in any way coordinated with today's announcement from Morneau? No, it wasn't. It's destined for uh, Japan. Earlier in the afternoon, the minister was given a first-hand look at how Canadian authorities board foreign vessels without warning and inspect them for potential safety issues. Nothing new here. They've been doing this for almost 20 years. So you're always using sort of subtle tricks um, the entire walk-in to look for different things. What is new is the announcement of four new projects, but the funding for them falls under the previously announced $1.5 billion Oceans Protection Plan. We're developing a marine safety system that rivals the top ones in the world. We have the highest safety and security standards in place to prevent incidents and accidents. They involve more underwater coastal mapping near commercial ports, five new weather buoys, more marine traffic monitoring stations, right down to something as simple as lightweight towing kits that can be flown to a vessel that's adrift. It's a very simple system that is very effective and it can allow the vessel that's no longer under command that needs to be towed to be uh, towed by another ship. So while apparently not directly related to Ottawa's ongoing campaign to get that pipeline built, the minister did spend a considerable amount of time talking about the importance of getting Canada's resources to market without, he says, damaging our coastline itself, a great natural resource. Tetranek, Global News. Vancouver is about to hold an important vote on the future of plastic pollution. Single-use items like disposable forks and takeout containers and cups always end up almost in the landfill, if not the ocean. Will Vancouver join other communities in wiping them off the menu in just over a minute? Laurel. Laurel. What do you hear? The audio puzzle that's taken the Internet by storm and how it all started coming up on the news hour and the upcoming meeting between north korea and the u.s seemed so promising until it didn't why the whole thing could be called off later but first the city of vancouver is voting tonight on whether to ban single-use items like plastic straws and styrofoam takeout containers but as nadia stewart reports what sounds like a simple solution to a pollution problem is anything but here we have Remember this? Real cutlery. At Vancouver's Loopy Cafe, they've been zero waste from day one. From napkins to cups, mugs, plates, even the hand towels in the washroom. For them, a waste-free space was always part of the business plan. Our idea is that it really is up to businesses and individuals to be innovative and to push that. By the time the government or the city comes along and bans something, you know you've messed up. They are ahead of the curve. But the city of Vancouver wants all cafes and restaurants to change the menu. 
No more styrofoam cups and containers or plastic straws by November 2019. A ban unique to the city of Vancouver, one that would eventually include special events. The Downtown Business Association is on board. We'll just see um, overall uh, a better approach in terms of how to deal with the issues that you know we frequently complain about. And we do see a lot of disposable single-use items that are discarded uh, in the litter receptacles or just thrown around the street. The city spent two years speaking with businesses and residents. According to a staff report, it costs $2.5 million to collect single-use items. There is widespread support for the ban, but also legitimate concerns from small businesses and community kitchens who say the switch could hit them hard. We already work on very small budgets. Some of these managers are working with less than $2 a meal. And we're talking about over 6,000 meals a day. We are a tremendously competitive, low-margin industry, and every single time there's more costs layered on top of costs for all these different initiatives, it's like death for a thousand cuts. The city says it will work to make the transition as smooth and supportive as possible. Zero-waste advocates say Vancouver can't afford to wait. Nadia Stewart, Global News. Caught on video in Surrey, the forcible takedown by an RCMP officer of the driver of a collection truck. Police were called after the driver was spotted crashing into garbage cans. They say he was aggressive and sweating profusely and that the officer had to act when the driver put the truck into gear. Police say the officer wanted to make sure the man didn't drive away and they later determined that he was suffering from a medical condition. The intention of our officer, of course, was not to uh, to injure the person that was removed from the vehicle, but to ensure public safety and that the vehicle didn't get put back into drive uh, to make sure that the vehicle was able to be stopped. Now, I'm not aware of any charges at this time. Uh, we do recognize that this was a medical a situation of medical distress, um, and there is no impaired investigation, either by alcohol or drugs. Spring storms wreaking havoc in the U.S. The mighty power of nature turns deadly in the Northeast. Also, the disturbing incident at a Langley Tim Hortons that has everyone talking. Tow trucks are on scene to a flipped trailer in Burnaby, westbound on Highway 1, just east of Kensington. It's mostly off to the right shoulder, but emergency crews on scene are blocking all but two of the available lanes. So as a result, traffic is backing up towards Brunette on the approach, and eastbound traffic also slowing right down to take a look at this problem. So if you're headed east, you're going to see a delay as well. In the market for an efficient and versatile SUV, the all-new 2018 Chevrolet Equinox starts at just $24,995. Visit ChevroletOffers.ca. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above an accident on Highway 1 in Burnaby. The city of Langford is looking for a handful of people to get in the marijuana business. They're looking for up to five people to set up shops selling cannabis-related products. But before everyone jumps at once, there's a catch. Kylie Stanton explains. Hey, how you doing? There's a steady stream of customers and products are flying off the shelves. It's solvent-free. Legal or not, business is good. Still, cannabis retailers can't wait to finally operate within the law. Well, we've been begging to be legitimized for years. In at least one municipality on Vancouver Island, that could come at a price. 
The city of Langford has put out a request for proposal as part of a pilot project, looking for applicants wanting to operate a pot shop. But opening the doors means opening their wallets. We're going to have up to five shops, but we're also going to have a, a level playing field for those people that want to invest in the shops. And we're going to put it to them and say, what is the benefit that you can provide to our community? On top of outlining a business plan and security measures, applicants will have to explain what percentage of their profits they're willing to kick back to the city. Or in other words, a proposed plan for assisting the city, including through financial contributions, with policing and bylaw enforcement costs, including the costs of additional training and other increased city costs. Addressing those things costs money, and as we say, we don't want our taxpayer our Langford taxpayer to be on the hook paying out of their taxes. We'd rather see uh, the business owners work in partnership with the city. I'm actually not in favor of decriminalizing cannabis. I'm in favor of legalizing it. While senior governments have talked about revenue sharing with local governments, a formal funding agreement has yet to be laid out. Even as of today, discussions were ongoing. You can't use the word pharmacy. You can't use the term dispensary. With legalization looming, Langford's approach is one way of taking matters into its own hands. But other municipalities say it's a preemptive move. I don't want to take the pressure off the province in terms of giving those numbers and giving that tax revenues to the city. So I don't know how you can estimate that at the city level at this time. Looking for some uh, CBD products? But for this retailer, if it means being legitimized, it's worth it. The time has come to work together. I think that relationship will be valuable. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Langford. Video surveillance of a disturbing confrontation at a lower mainland Tim Hortons is going viral tonight. And a warning before we get through this. Some viewers will find just the thought of what this woman did disturbing. A woman is under investigation after cameras captured her getting into a heated argument with staff. She then does something I'm not prepared to describe to you on television at this time of day. You can look it up on the Internet if you need to know more. RCMP confirm. It happened at a Langley Tim Hortons. The restaurant chain says we are deeply concerned by this video. In limited cases, restaurants have a restricted access policy for restrooms to ensure the well-being of our guests. Our current understanding is that the team member used their discretion in this case and denied access to this guest based on past behavior. RCMP say the woman was arrested and released on a promise to appear in court. You will thank me for not describing that. Royal apathy leading up to the big wedding. Is it a big event for you? No. Why it's tough to find anyone who's planning to watch it. And the war of words, why the U.S.-North Korea meeting might be in jeopardy. Counterflow is out over here at the Massey Tunnel. No delays northbound out of Delta, but southbound traffic through Richmond is slow from just south of Steveston Highway. Through Kermac Cares for Kids, when you choose Kermac, you choose to support BC Children's Hospital. For the absolute best in collision repair and auto glass, choose Kermac Collision. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Massey Tunnel. The wind is ridiculous. I don't know what is happening right now. At least five people are dead from powerful storms on the U.S. East Coast, including an 11-year-old girl killed in New York when a falling tree crushed her car. Strong winds also knocked down trees and power lines in other areas. A number of roads have been left impassable by the storm debris. International diplomacy thrown into turmoil once again tonight with a sudden threat from North Korea to pull out of next month's summit with the U.S. president. 
And while Donald Trump shrugs off the warning, experts are saying no one should be surprised by North Korea's unpredictability. Thank you very much. It's Tonight, the summit standoff. President Trump, for the first time, addressing North Korea's threats to call off next month's historic meeting with Kim Jong-un. We'll have to see. We haven't seen anything. We haven't heard anything. Uh, we will see what happens. The president standing by his demand that a deal include North Korea get rid of its nuclear weapons. But today, one of Kim Jong-un's top deputies is framing that as a non-starter, warning we are no longer interested in a negotiation that will be all about driving us into a corner and making a one-sided demand. The North now taking aim at National Security Advisor John Bolton, blasting him as repugnant, seizing on these recent comments. We have very much in mind the Libya model from 2003-2004. Bolton citing Libyan leader Muammar Gaddafi's agreement to shut down its nuclear program and exchange for sanctions relief. But years later, Gaddafi was deposed and killed. The White House today downplaying Bolton's comments. This is uh, the President Trump model. He's going to run this the way he sees fit. Uh, we're 100 percent confident. North Korea's defiant stance a sharp reversal from recent conciliatory steps, including the release of three U.S. prisoners last week. But experts warn Kim Jong-un's gamesmanship looking for maximum leverage is nothing new. The North Koreans are very good at surprising us, but if we had any sense of history, we would have understand that this is a page from their playbook. The sexual abuse of hundreds of young girls and women by Larry Nassar is going to cost the University of Michigan $500 million. That settlement announced today by the university and lawyers representing more than 230 survivors of the former professor's abuse. $425 million will be paid to current claimants and $75 million set aside for any future victims who come forward. Nasser admitted to using his position as a doctor to sexually abuse young girls and women and was sentenced to more than 100 years in prison. In Health Matters tonight, a new study says what you eat might affect your ability to think. Scientists in the Netherlands studied MRIs of older people and found that those who have a diet rich in vegetables, fruit, nuts and fish have larger brain volume. Other studies have linked the size of the brain to cognitive skills. A place where the journey is the destination. You just want to stop, relax, take your time and really enjoy the scenic. Plans to drive Highway 3 well into the future. And the Canadian connection to this weekend's royal wedding and what bookies are taking bets on. Anyone who's driven Highway 3 between Hope and the Alberta border knows it's one of the most beautiful routes in B.C., and now a new 10-year plan aims to make the route even more attractive with more stops to enjoy along the way. If you blink, you're going to miss it. Just outside Headley sits Doug's homestead. So we got two sticks of pepperoni here. This little shop pushes about 400 pounds of pepperoni out the door every day in the summer. 32.71 jerky, bacon, ham. Right now we're doing some pepperoni. All made on site and usually all gone by the afternoon. Wow! It's business almost entirely reliant on the people who drive Highway 3. Highway 3 is like that highway that you just want to stop, relax, take your time, and really enjoy the scenic, the scenic views. 
Highway 3 is home to tourism at every turn. Ski hills from Hope to the Alberta border. The Kootenays, full of craft beer. There's wine in the Okanagan and Similkameen. And golf everywhere. Not to mention fishing, hiking, biking. But a lot of the markets are seasonally driven. Destination BC is stepping in to create a regional destination plan to help build Highway 3's capacity. And to grow the corridor into actually being a destination in itself. So this is uh, Afraid of the Dark. This is our Viognier Roussin Marsan blend. Even in the Okanagan, where tourism drives a huge portion of the economy, there is room to grow. At Mooncursor Winery, right on Highway 3 at the base of Anarchist Pass, growing the business means attracting new types of customers. If you're not watching, you can just, you can, you know, you can go from Lethbridge to Vancouver and and not see anything here on a highway unless you're sort of looking. And the promotion helps quite a bit. 1.7 million people drive Highway 3 every year, getting more of them to stop. But places like Christina Lake for a round of golf keeps people in the region longer, spending more money, creating a better bottom line for everyone. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Uh, real quick, before we get to Christy, some breaking news from the city of Vancouver. Earlier we had reported they were voting on those single-use plastics and bang, banning the use of single-use plastics. It's adopted. We hear just right now that a zero-waste 2040 strategy has been adopted. So single-use items and, uh, and waste of that kind uh, will be outlawed in Vancouver. And uh, that's all part of the Zero Waste 2040 strategy just passed by the city of Vancouver. So more details coming up on the news at 11 tonight. Right now, let's check in with Christy and... Uh, uh, oh, no. Are we doing Laurel and Yanni first? we do that tease? A new debate tearing up social media, the audio version of the dress. Laurel. Laurel. What do you hear? Do you hear Yanni or Laurel? The scientific explanation right after the forecast. Yes, now we can check in with Christy and uh, some of those storms bubbling up in the interior for sure are going to be a problem. That's exactly right. So, Chris, this is the scene out there right now. We had a number of lightning strikes, more intensity just about an hour ago when I was talking to you earlier. It's now dropping south of the border. Good news there, but it's the wave tomorrow that we're concerned about. So it'll pick up through the morning hours and then in the afternoon and evening hours, that's when the most intensity will happen. And you can see right from Hope all the way into areas in Nelson over towards the Kelowna region as well. So 20 to 40 millimeters of rain with pockets of intensity with those thunderstorms. These are the water content that's up in the mountains right now. Significant uh, melt happening in the last 24 hours, 40 to 100 millimeters of, of uh, moisture content. But with that rain, we'll see significant melt in the next 24 to two days. Now, this is the scene out there right now. It's absolutely beautiful, but you'll remember across the south coast, we had a lot of cloud cover, and we'll see that again tomorrow morning. In fact, it will be so thick that some areas will see a bit of drizzle across the metro Vancouver region, but we'll clear later on. 19 degrees. Not completely in the clear, though. A slight chance of an isolated shower if you're out in the Fraser Valley in the afternoon and along the mountains. But your Friday, that's when we have the best chance of seeing a chance of showers. So yes, some moisture in our forecast, but it looks like we rebound over the weekend. And I want to leave you with this shot. Uh, this is from Steve Kitchen Kamloops looking towards uh, Merritt where there's a was a forest fire. And it's just a reminder, you know, we're talking about floods and that's really, really wet, low levels. And of course, where the rivers are and of course, where the mountains are in the snowpack, it's wet. But in between those areas, Chris, the forest is drying out and it is already forest fire season. So a reminder as we head into the long weekend. All right. Thanks very much for that, Christy. Yeah, the smoke near uh, Logan Lake. 
Hopefully they get the upper hand on that one. Well, three years after we all argued over whether the dress was black and blue or white and gold, an audio debate has exploded online. Laurel. Laurel. The question is, the question is, do you hear the name Yanni or Laurel? Laurel. Laurel. I'm only hearing Laurel there. But I've only heard Yanni before. Anyway, a number of celebrities jumped into the online debate, starting when YouTuber Chloe Feldman retweeted the audio. The scientific explanation, you're actually hearing both at the same time. But in general, older people are hearing Laurel because it's at a lower frequency, while younger people hear the higher frequency Yanni. But experts also say what we hear can also be affected by the quality of our headphones or speakers. There you go. What'd you hear? Laurel, every time. You're young. That's right. <laughs> I thought it was old. Oh, maybe that is old. old. That is old. You're right. But <laughs> it, it doesn't make sense then. This whole debate reminds me of my favorite old-time comedy team, Yanni and Hardy. <laughs> was that a comedy team? Yeah, Yanni and Laurel Hardy. and Hardy. It sounded like Laurel, but it was actually <laughs> Yanni and Hardy. Uh, lately, the Whitecaps have been having lots of chances, but not a lot of finish. My job and my coach's job is to continue to instill belief in them. Will tonight against San Jose, the night that the near misses, become goals? And he thought this would be his year, and then no one finished the Barkley Marathon. Why, Gary Robbins says it truly was impossible. And you know that musician, Yanni? His name's actually Laurel. <laughs> he responded. Even he weighed in on the really? whole Yanni What did he hear? Thing. He heard his name. Oh, of yeah. course he did. Of course he did. Uh, in their last three games, the Whitecaps have created an average of 14 chances per match, but still only four goals from them, despite all those chances. You get the feeling, watching these near misses, that sooner or later, this has to turn around. Perhaps tonight, against the struggling San Jose side, the Whitecaps will be able to fill the net, because the odds say the bounces sooner or later have to start going their way. On another day, I believe with a little bit of luck, we could have got four or five goals in each of the last three games, and we haven't. So we've got to continue to work at that. It is small margins between scoring and not scoring. Uh, unfortunately, it's not happening for us at the moment, but we've got to continue to believe and continue to work. Check this out. Golden Knight against Jet. Oh, the Jet splits in half. And the crowd goes wild. Game three, Knights Jets. First minute. Again, giving away the puck, basically in the neutral zone. Look at the speed by Jonathan Marshall show and the move. Mm. Vegas, first minute of the game, 35 seconds in, they're up 1-0. And that's the way it stands right Huge now. Game here I want to tonight. show you this from last night. RBC Cup, of course, going on in Chilliwack. Chiefs against the Wellington Dukes. The home team getting a goal there. From Will Calverly. Calverly makes it 1 0. Then Corey Andonofsky will make it 2 0. Moves in, shoots, scores! Chilliwack and Wenatchee, both BCHL teams, are guaranteed a spot in Saturday's semifinal at Prospera Center. Nice save by Daniel Chenard. He gets a shutout 2 0 win for Chilliwack over the Wellington Dukes. City Field in New York. What is that? Queens, right? Up the Bronx? Yeah, oh, no, no. Yankees oh, John Metz. Sorry, sorry. My, That's my, Queens. Am I not right? Yeah. I think you're right. Justin Smoke. Home run. He had three RBI. Blue Jays' big win today against the Mets. 12-1 on a very rainy New York game. 
Well, a month and a half, almost two months removed from only completing three of five laps in the Barkley Marathons, North Vancouver's Gary Robbins makes that, tells us the story of how intense weather kept him and the entire field from finishing all five laps. Even in good weather, only 15 have ever finished the five laps in 60 hours or less. In the two previous go-rounds for Robbins, he was able to get to the fifth and final lap, but not able to finish in time. And this year, he was sure he'd be able to finish the entire race in time, but no amount of training can blunt bad weather. And what I kept telling myself in the months I was training was leave no doubt. And I was gonna leave no doubt with me or anyone around me that this was the year. To then have a variable outside of my control that played so heavily on the outcome. Um, we ended up with about 18 hours of the worst monsoon style rain weather you could ever experience. Which was the complete opposite of a problem-free first lap where the weather was quite good. One of the best first laps I've had in my three attempts. Not only was our time uh, really fast, eight and a half-ish hours, my transition out of camp was the best I've ever had and it was the best I've ever felt after a single lap at the Barkley Marathons. But like fellow runner Jamil Khoury who took video of his race, my race isn't really going uh, like I expected. The second lap undid everything. We were about halfway through the second lap when I was recognizing that this was slipping away, quite literally. And too much was lost on the second lap to make it up on the third lap. And I missed the cutoff to start the fourth lap by 12 minutes. But despite three years of various defeats, Gary must conquer this sooner or later. When you are that close and you understand physically and mentally that it is possible for you, you'll never be able to rest until you accomplish that. Now he's not sure yet if he'll try it next year or maybe take a year off and go in 2020. But make no mistake, he will try again. Yeah, I don't, I don't think you can imagine the same. Okay, that's it. It uh, beat me. I would never, I wouldn't be able to sleep at night. I just would not be able to look myself in the mirror if I ever turned away from this thing. And he told me today that when he walks around the streets now, because of the big beard, guys go, and people go, hey, you're the Barclays guy. You're the Barclays guy. Did his toenails grow back yet? Uh, he only lost one or two, so oh. that, that showed him he didn't go all five. That's good. Yeah. All right. Thank you. The mother of a toddler attacked by a coyote is speaking out tonight. Andrea has more on that for us right now. Yeah, Chris, so frightening. The mother of that three-year-old boy is talking about the horrific ordeal and how she rescued her son from the coyote. Little Aiden received over 100 stitches when the animal lunged at him, just steps outside his Burnaby home. He is recovering tonight, but his mother says the attack could have been prevented, and she's pointing the finger at wildlife officials. Also, a meeting is underway in Surrey tonight, where officials are talking about flood preparations and what residents can do to protect themselves. We'll have those stories and more when you join us tonight at 11 o'clock. Chris? All right, sounds good. Thank you very much, Anne. And when we come back, betting on the royal wedding, your chance to get in on the action. Next. Next.